Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this Sunday is our second lesson, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 13, 13, is printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear fellow members of the body of Christ, this is a rather unique time of year for us Americans. The first half of February is still very much the middle of winter for most of the country, but Christmas is far in the rearview mirror, and spring is six weeks away, according to local groundhogs. It's too early for outside sports or yard work, and, and with jobs and school, most people are still just getting started on a new year or a, a new semester. But there is still something to get excited about if you're passionate about certain things. It's trophy time. This evening, two teams will give their all on the football field, each with the hope of establishing itself as worthy to hoist the Lombardi Trophy as champions. We've already had the the Golden Globes and SAG Awards, and over the next few weeks, more red carpets will be walked, more nominees will be announced, and more winners congratulated with the Grammys and the Oscars. And as much as most of the competitors in any of these fields might deflect praise and credit others for their successes, everyone knows that the reason that they're there is because they are not satisfied with being average, and certainly not with being less. They want to be the most excellent at what they do, and they want to be recognized for it. Chances are good that you are familiar with that desire to stand out and to stand above everything and everyone else from your own more everyday environments. There's the fellow student who who not only strives to get the best grades in everything, but wants everyone else to know it, too. There's the co-worker who who is always gunning for the next promotion or maneuvering for raises and recognition, but not, it seems, because he or she really loves the work, but mostly because it's most important to be above and ahead of everyone else. Well, what about us? Do we have that same drive and desire to be the best or at least better? Well, sadly, we, we have to admit that, that we also have the worst kind of, of competitive, egotistical spirit deep with inside each of us. Because each of us, no, no matter how long we have been Christians, still has a sinful nature. And that old man within us tends to measure its value and worth only by looking down on others. And to do that... You have to always be looking out for number one and working to keep others down so that you can be up. It's rarely successful in any kind of satisfying way. It's not pretty and it's not pleasant. But that is the way we are as sinners. But what about the way we are as Christians? 
Does our new man also have that drive to be the best? Perhaps surprisingly, the answer is yes. But the drive is different because it is not all about lifting yourself up above others, but is entirely about wanting God's will to be done and his name in the gospel to be glorified. We want to be better and more excellent, not for our own reputations or self-regard, but because we want nothing but the best for our service to and our worship of the Lord who loves and saved us. But just as our old man and new man are constantly tangled up inside us, so our motivations and desires are often twisted up so much that it can be hard to to separate what is fleshly from what is godly, what is sinful from what is holy. This was one of the big problems in the church in Corinth. People there were were taking the spiritual gifts and and other blessings that that God had, had lavished upon them, and they were using them as a means to measure their worth and and to rank themselves higher than others in the church. They reasoned, though it undoubtedly had more to do with emotion than logic, they reasoned that that having one of the more prominent or, or spectacular gifts meant that they were more excellent than their fellow Christians who didn't have such a gift. What was intended to be used in unity for the common good had instead been selfishly used and brought envy and division. And so, in this part of his letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to reorient their thinking and redirect their desires. But it is important to note that he did not blow up the whole more be more excellent idea and insist that, that everyone needed to pursue some kind of unifying sameness and mediocrity. Instead, he doubled down on the idea and showed them the more excellent way that both brings out the best and brings believers together. It is a hallmark of Christianity and a sign of maturity in the faith that sees these desires put to work and working together. The desire to be the best Christian possible and the desire to be the best church possible. This is how we want to live as the body of Christ and individually as its members. This is what it means to be part of the family of God. And it necessarily starts with remembering how it is that any of us got to be what and where we are in the first place. Because a proper appraisal of your place in the church requires remembering that that we deserve or merit nothing from God but wrath. By nature, we are rebels opposed to His will and hostile to Him in every way because we want to have whatever we want and we want to be number one. And He, being both perfect and almighty, gets in the way of that. And as much as some in our society and Satan along with them 
try to tell us that, that what is most important and healthy for us is to let those most basic drives and desires rule us, well, following them leads only to death and damnation. Well deserved. There is no heavenly trophy for being true to your ego or tearing down others to build yourself up. There is no place in paradise reserved for those who who revel in their lusts or reject God's will for things like sex and marriage, preferring their own seasonal and self-serving values over His timeless wisdom. The award we deserve for being sinners by nature and long practice is death and damnation, eternal separation from God and His love. But God is love. And that love, undeserved as it is, wants every one of us to be able to lift high the trophy of eternal life with Him in heaven. And so, He fixed and finished things for us. He provided a solution for our problem of sin. He made a way to remove the stinking offense of our selfishness and rebellion and to make up the deficit of holiness on our accounts. And He did it by sacrificing what was most precious, His one and only Son. Jesus came and lived and suffered and died because of God's grace and mercy for us. And His perfect life and innocent death are the only thing that could ever achieve for us exactly what we needed. Not only a slate clean of sin, but also the holiness that comes with perfect obedience to God's will. Christ saved us. Not because we deserved His favor, but precisely because we were undeserving. The way of the cross and empty tomb was the only way that any sinner could be saved. Remembering and recognizing this renews and redirects our perspectives and priorities because we realize that that if we did not merit our salvation in the first place, then we certainly do not merit any of our spiritual gifts or any particular place or position in Christ's body. Paul rejoiced that the Corinthians had all sorts of wonderful spiritual gifts, but they needed, and we need, to remember that they are gifts, not rewards for work well done or or emblems of elite status in God's kingdom. Certainly things like miracle working and healing, tongues speaking and prophecy were excellent gifts, but there was something more excellent that allows all Christians to understand how to use their gifts and how to live as Christ's body here on earth. And that is the way of love. With a series of, of definitional statements telling what love does and what love does not do, the Holy Spirit here, writing through Paul, makes incredibly clear that of all gifts, of all perspectives, of all priorities, love 
is number one. And this is not the, the flesh-gratifying or self-affirming love kind of thing that, that many today think of as love, but it is the same kind, the same kind of entirely other-centered love that our Lord has for us. The same love that moved Him to save us and that still moves Him to always do what is best for us. This love is different, and it makes all the difference. It doesn't serve the self, but seeks only to serve others. It shows itself not merely as an emotion, but in actions and attitudes. Love leads you to put up with things and people that get on your nerves, because only by doing that can you serve your neighbor. Love means that you rejoice to see someone else blessed, even if those blessings are ones that you wanted for yourself. Because the other's happiness and well-being means more to you than your own. Love always seeks to lift up the people around you, which means keeping your own ego in check because pride only gets in the way of serving them. Love behaves well. Love forgives and forgets what has been forgiven. Love steps up. Love encourages what is godly and discourages what is not. Love trusts. Love hopes. Love endures. All because what is good for the other in our lives and in our congregation and in the community is more important to us than what our old man might consider good for us. And love lasts. Our strength will fail. Our wits may wither. Gifts may pass to another or pass away entirely. But love remains always relevant, always vital, always needed, always making a difference. Love is what the Christian life is always aiming for. And when you have that, everything else fades in significance. The kind of active, other-centered love that, that Paul teaches us about here is what Christian character is built with and built on. And it is also what a Christian congregation is built with and built on. It is what makes you more excellent than you were and what makes us more excellent every day. How we treat each other and how we treat strangers we meet and, and visitors who come here off the street what motivates everything we do and drives what we say, how we view our various gifts and how we use them in our various callings, how we decide things and how we lead and serve and give. All these things and so many more. This is what love changes and equips and guides and empowers. All because God loved us first and we cannot help but love the same way. Now it is possible that some of you here today have 
I found it curious that, that we read 1 Corinthians 13 and yet have not said anything about marriage. This great love chapter has become so common a part of weddings that it's, that it's easy to get the idea that it, that it is all and perhaps only about the special love between husbands and wives. But the Greek word used here is not the one for love between a man and a woman. It's the one used for the love that God has for sinners. Not eros, but agape. Because as we can tell from the wider context that we read here, the focus is on Christians and the church, on the body of Christ. But these verses are still very appropriate for a wedding when two people are joined together as one and start a new family because there are no relationships more intense or more intimate and therefore in need of this teaching and these truths about love. In fact, we might call marriage and the family the laboratory of love. Because this is where and how we learn most of our lessons about patience and service, about forgiveness and encouragement, about humility and hope. And we often learn them the hard way as chastised children, as long-suffering spouses with bruised egos and hurting hearts. But we have the love of Christ. We have that love in abundance to strengthen and to guide us through it all. And so we grow. And so we get better at loving. This is what we do because that is who we are. We are the beloved children of a loving Lord who love Him and who love to love each other. There is so much Error and anger and pain and impatience and trouble out there in the world. We don't need or want any more of it in our families or in our church. What we want and what we have and what we seek to share in everything we do and say is love. This is our goal. This is Christian life and faith brought to its completion. This is the more excellent way for more excellent Christians, for a more excellent church. Amen. Please rise. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His own blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God His Father, to Him be the glory and power forever. Amen.